time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. Tracy Silverman, and welcome to the For the Greater Groove podcast, The Future of Strings. And this is where we talk about progressive string playing, the string playing of the future, how we're going to go from our Russian school conservatory training string background and push into the future of what strings need to be doing in our musical world. And I've got one of the leaders of the progressive string world, the multi-style string leader, Ms. Martha Mook is here. And I am so happy that you are sharing this space with me and going to share some of your wisdom. Thank you, Tracy. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's a... Uh... Exciting to get dressed up and 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 plug in and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see you've got all your gear out there. I see the H nines and the laptop and all kind of stuff it's going on. All flashing and, and burning. I can't wait to dig into it. But first, let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Martha has been on the scene since the scene began. Um, she's a prolific composer. Her catalog includes solo works for, for violin and viola, chamber works, symphonic band and orchestral works, as well as all kinds of multimedia film, theater, ballet scores. Um, recent piece, No Ordinary Windows, a gorgeous visual musical um, production. And many people will know Martha as the founder and artistic director of the Scorchio Quartet. Uh, the Scorchio Quartet is the go-to string quartet in the New York scene and internationally. You guys, man, you guys have just played with all the cool kids. I mean, holy cow. First, of course, David Bowie. Uh, but, you know, like everybody, David Byrne, Patti Smith, Laurie Anderson, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop. I mean... Gosh, these are all the coolest people around. Trey Anastasio, Phoebe Bridgers, I saw recently you were doing something with. I'm a big yep. fan of hers. And Martha also uh, is a major figure in the educational world. Uh, many of you may know her from ASTA, the American String Teacher Association, and many other organizations, uh, including the New Jersey City University Multi-Styles String Program that you just founded and got started this year. Uh, she's a McDowell Fellow. You won the ASCAP Concert Music Award. That's a big deal. Uh, and, of course, a, a longtime Yamaha artist. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tracy. It's really, it's, um, it's really fabulous to be here and... Hats off to what you're what you're doing. I mean, you've you've been a, a progressive in this field for many years too. Yes, we've yeah. been laboring to uh, to kind of take the ball down the field, as it were, and uh, kind of advance the state of the art a little bit. You know, because string playing is a very traditional kind of form. It's taught in a in a and you know a, a kind of a long tradition of string playing, which is very honorable, very wonderful, um, and there's nothing wrong with it except that it's maybe time to add to it a little bit. And I think that's kind of where both of us uh, have come from. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I still I still do the old dead you know white guy music <laughs> Beethoven and Tchaikovsky I still love that yep. doing that I'll play in orchestras I play you know Broadway shows so I still playing a fair amount of traditional viola but along the way um I was my eyes and ears were opened 
uh, just by chance, somebody handed me a record, a record really, uh, vinyl of Jean-Luc Ponty. Mm-hmm. And that was when I discovered there was more to being a string player than, than just playing you know, Mozart on a Klein and Notch music in right. high school. And, um, you know, back then we didn't have those emojis that we have now, but, but that was like <laughs> the brain blowing up emoji. <laughs> that was me <laughs> way back in the 80s. And um, so, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, I always say you don't know what you're missing until you know what you've been missing. Right. And um, I didn't know that I'd been missing that. And the thing is, we're 30... 40 years down the road from from there and you know I've been talking to Jean-Luc Ponty and he's like they still think this is something new yeah I mean he's been doing it for you know (laughs) since the beginning of of time and he's still groundbreaking in what you know what what his early work was and what he's doing now so um so there yeah which which just goes to kind of prove the point of how traditional the string world is and how hard it is to turn it it's like a steam you know like a tanker in the ocean it's not gonna move anywhere quickly but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to steer the course uh towards a better future yeah and i think that's what we've been you know working on all these years through asta and whatever they needed to call us alternative eclectic progressive subversive (laughs) <laughs> you know, I finally, right. I finally, you know, by by mistake, I woke up, you know, a year and a half ago, and I'm like, well, well wait, it's multi-style. We're, you know, we're doing multi-style, and right. it just kind of stuck. And and um, I've I'd always wanted to create. I mean, I've been doing a lot of educational programs for many many years, and creating my work workshops on improvisation and electric strings, plugging in. Um, I have one that's called "Am I Allowed to Do That." But yeah, saw that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but um, you know, it just when um, when I got to, I was asked to to um, grow the string department at New Jersey City University, and th- there was one one violinist that had graduated like two years ago, and there was no string department really. And I said to the chair, um, I said, I would love to help you grow the string department. The future of strings is multi-style, and I would love to create this new program that um, embraces all styles of music and the legitimacy of all. It's not just something other than classical. Right. And um, little did I know (laughs) that I would be actually writing a curriculum for a master's program and a bachelor's program. Oh, my gosh. And a brand new course that is just going to launch in this uh, in the fall on uh, technology in performance and composition. So wow. um, it's been a lot of work, but it's also really rewarding. And yes. um, this is going to be our first year in person. And we have um, starting with the grad program. I've got ten grad students coming wow. in. Wow! And um, and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and from all over the country and a a few from Spain. So it's pretty cool um, how they're finding out about it and that they're interested in it because they're they're classically trained and play some fiddle or play some jazz or play some Latin jazz and and, um, or just want to experiment using electronics. So um, that's kind of how the idea got started with, you know, the... The, um, the our neighborhood from Asta. Every year we get together. And we, you know, we had that cool concert just about a year and a half ago. That was right before everything blew up, yeah. and um, and you know, with all the uh, electric folks, and and um, that was a lot of fun to play. Yeah, and yeah. You played that amazing set with uh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, little did we know what was going to happen right after that, but. There's just so many possibilities, and I think that, um, you know, for me to to be able to help guide um, teachers as well. It's not just about students, but you have we have to be focusing on teachers. It's largely about teachers because 
you know, the re one of the real problems, going back to that tradition uh, thing, is that, you know, teachers have been taught, in the for the most part, to play classical music. They should just spend your whole life learning how to play classical music and the repertoire and the technique and all of that. And that's what they know how to teach. So this, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, like an oral tradition and, and you pass it down to your students. And, and that's, you know, the way it should be. It's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it means that in order to change what the students are learning, you have to change what the teachers know how to teach. Yes, that is, that is the point. And that's, right. that's where that, you know, that, institution come comes into play um, yeah. because it's so like uh, they have a list of accepted repertoire for if you're doing uh, festivals and things like that but there's been such a growth of indie artists not just in you know in the pop world in the commercial world but in our world as well and yeah. so many of us are doing creating our own works self-publishing and right. so we're not on those those known lists. We're, we're doing it by going, you know, going out to conferences and, and doing workshops for, and showing the teachers. And I, I, you know, the response from the teachers, like I, you know, how do I do that? They're afraid to plug in because they're going to blow something up. In the meanwhile, they're, they're, the students are just um, ecstatic when they have the opportunity to try something new and plug something in and yeah. sound like, whoa, I didn't know it could sound like that. Or, um, it just feeds the feeds the inspiration and the, the creative soul. So um, yes, that's yeah. what I you know I feel like one of my jobs on this planet is not just play viola or teach viola or, or create this program, but to help teachers, students, everybody find their creative soul and and their spirit and to give voice to it in whatever way they can. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, string playing is, I, you know, they say that the first uh, instrument is the human voice. And, well, string playing is pretty close to that. Um, and then when you figure out all the different things that you can do with the instrument, with the bow, and, and you're, you know, plucking, and, and you have to let your mind wander, I think. Than, than just what we're, we're told and taught yes. to do when we're very young, which is all good because that's what it's the springboard that lets us go mm -hmm. on from there. Right. And, it, and if I may say, I think as, as lofty a, a goal as that is, um, th that you know that you're achieving the, the whole freeing of the spirit and, and connecting with the spirit and, and imagination, I think we're we're possibly doing something even larger socially when we do a multi-style string program because when you include uh, styles from other cultures, what you're doing is recognizing their right to exist basically in our canon uh, and recognizing those cultures uh, and the music from those cultures. And that I think is something that's very timely, first of all, um, and very important to a lot of young people. You know, a lot of young people look at the classical world and they, and they and because they are so much broader culturally because of the internet than the generation before, they took they take one look at and, and they go, well, why just Europe? What about Asia? What about Africa? What about South America? You know. Uh, Australia, don't want to leave uh, any continents out. Um, you know, <laughs> why, <laughs> why just Central Europe? You know, so uh, I think what you know what we're doing in this is actually, you know, some a, a bigger social uh, impact that it, that it has on the world, and and that's part of the reason why we need to do it because the world is moving in this direction, and we need to move with it as string players. Uh, it's all about evolution. And if you don't exactly. evolve, uh, you get left in the dust. You and, perish. And I think that, you know, what people sometimes lose sight of is that evolving doesn't mean destroying the past. It means right. growing on it and growing with it. Right. And, right. Um, and so I think that's, that's the important thing that, um, and, in, you know, in my program, um, one of the, one of the uh, pieces that we did 
we were able to do it virtually because we figured it out, um, was I gave them a, a Bach Brandenburg concerto. And then I said, okay, let's do some improv at the front of that. And then in the, in the middle of it, I, I, I created a, an insert that I called Burning Down the Bach. <laughs> and in the middle of a, it could be any any Brandenburg, any piece by Bach, really. And in the middle of it, after you know we're we're sawing away, and then it just kind of melts, does a meltdown, and we go into this kind of groove version of uh, semi burning down the house, but it's burning <laughs> down the Bach. And I just presented that at my um, multi-style string symposium. And it was a big hit, um, but I it bet. just shows that you can. And then we then we bring it back to Bach after after people have been soloing and doing whatever craziness they want to in there, and and um, and it it segues back in, so it ends with the concerto. Yeah. And it just shows you like, wow, you know, I, I've had people say, well, I didn't know that you know violinists could do that or string players could do that, you know, go in and out of these styles so seamlessly right and they think that you know just because you you play other styles means you're not a legitimate player or a real player right right and right. um and so you know not everybody goes to conservatory and then learn you know learn something from there um, but the fact that we have that option and the opportunity for all these people to play together with different backgrounds and they're they're teaching each other and they're learning yes. from each other and sharing music and and sounds and ideas yeah yep yeah you know the the amazing 400 year history of string literature um it, it's kind of like the golden handcuffs you know it's this you know it, it it's an, an incredible catalog of masterpieces that it's um impossible to ignore and there's no reason to ignore it, what you and I are, and string players like us, are are not ta are talking about is not, you know, removing the past or ignoring the past. Even like you're saying, evolution is not about destroying the past; it's about building on the past. Um, and and it's partly, I think, because the past is so rich. Uh, you know, the the music that uh, that you know, came out of the last several hundred years of string playing is, is so wonderful, Bach and, you know, I mean, we can go on and on, uh, that we don't want to ignore it, but we have to be careful that we don't become handcuffed by that to the point where we can't let our imaginations move forward. Because all of that music was written in the popular idiom of its day. That's how music, that's how creative artists work. They they tell their truth of of the world as they see it or hear it for musicians and if we're only telling the truth of the world of the past <laughs> or repeating their truths that's wonderful and their truths are worth repeating but we can't ignore the fact that we can't let drop the ball basically you know string players have been telling their truth for hundreds of years now it's our turn and our truth is electric instruments rock and roll, jazz, hip hop, that's our truth and we need to tell it. Right. But well, you know, I think people forget that you know Beethoven was a, a new music composer back in his right. day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, was Vivaldi. You know, that's right. <laughs> it was, and it was um, new music. You, and you know, if Mozart had been able to plug in, would he have? Probably. Um so and you know, with every time a new innovation in keyboard instruments change, that's the the uh, repertoire advanced as well and that's the thing um yeah you know there the uh, electric guitar was introduced and all of a sudden the guitar just exploded yeah. exactly that set a precedent for anything else um to to just go out of the boundaries of your of your mind or what is prescribed um and that's yeah. where you know when when we're young, and sometimes I have the most fun teaching really little kids, because there's no, they're not inhibited. They'll try anything. They they love it. They're so enthusiastic. And um, what happens is, as they get older and older, and they're hearing no, 
that's wrong or you're, you sound awful or or they're inhibited because they're you know am, afraid to be embarrassed uh, in front of their friends that gets closed off and um, so that's something that I, I know that our community is really trying to keep uncovering and and holding being able to keep that what what we once had to to get back to learning about that again yeah creativity basically imagination, imagination. yeah <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well hey let's get right to our groove hacker thing I'm really, uh, I love this tune. I hadn't heard it before. This uh, Gozadera. Um, what a great track. And it got me, of course, down a rabbit hole. And I started listening to uh, a bunch of other stuff by uh, Gente de Zona and Mark Anthony. And, and I just started, you know, listening to a bunch of reggaeton and fun stuff and let me play uh, just a little bit of this for a second for our listeners so they can hear what what it is that uh that i was digging Right, so there's a little taste of what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's no way you can sit still. No, <laughs> when that goes, it's just automatically. I, I, you know, that's why I made I made a playlist this past year, and I just call it, um, I just call it uh, La Vida, and it's La got Vida. Shakira <laughs> and Enrique Iglesias and uh, Louis Fonsi, Ricky Martin, you know, and and then this yeah. song I just just found I, myself playing it over and over again and, and that sort of got me through this past year and a half where I you know I just started dancing and so I was getting my exercise it would lift my spirits because you, you can't you know you can't you, be sad right <laughs> you cannot be sad when you listen to this and it's kind of interesting you know that a, a, a lot of music like this like from Africa and, and other places that is so infectious and it's so enervating it just lifts your spirit like without even trying you just get lifted off the ground and it's i think remarkable that all of this uplifting music so much of it comes from cultures that are struggling so hard and have such a difficult path in front of them and you know perhaps out of necessity create this music that can uh, do what very few other things can do in their lives and, and really just liberate the spirit in that way. It's powerful stuff. Um, yeah. I started listening to Daddy Yankee and all, uh -huh. all these reggaeton <laughs> guys, you know, and I was like, wow, it's so much charisma, so much swag and, and yeah. attitude and just wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I so, want to hear, hear what you do with that now, now that you've been turned on to. <laughs> well, I want to hear what you do. So <laughs> let's well, we'll do it together. Well, let's groove hack this together. So here's yeah. the thing: the whole thing with this groove hacker idea is how do we how do we as string players, especially as like classical string players or fiddlers, you know, maybe all we know is bluegrass or Celtic or something. How do we take this music that we may have fallen in love with and play it on our instruments, other than just playing the melody, which plenty of people are doing, and that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, this whole um, for the greater groove ideas, how do we get under the melody? How do we get that? How do we be, become part of the rhythm section? How do we become a, an integral part of that? Exactly. And I, I think that's where we have to believe our bodies. Just like, mm. you know, as soon as you put that on, I started moving, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the place I, that's where I, that's what I find first. Yes. And and it's it's the groove. It's the way my body responds to it. It's the beat. Um, Sometimes you know, we all have different interpretations of things. But um, when I was trying to 
when I was preparing for this, because this is not this is not totally in my wheelhouse, by the way. Um, appreciate that. I appreciate so, that uh, it. But I accept a challenge to to figure out, um, and it helps me grow as a you yes. know, as a human being, as a player, and uh, because you know I just I don't I don't chop and groove like you do, or, or Kenji Bunch, or Daryl Anger, or any of you know Mike Block, all you guys. I just sit there and I'm like, huh. But anyway, you know, I, I, I see all you guys and I'm like, no, that, you know, it's not my wheelhouse, but that's okay. I appreciate that. Let me try it mm -hmm. and see what I can figure out with it. And I immediately went to, uh, um, I, I do my transcribing in Sibelius, and, uh, which now has a, an app for the iPad, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, nice. So <laughs> I just, I was listening and um, I don't, I don't, have a tendency to slow things down when I'm trying to learn them because that's not what I do. I'm not a transcriber. I don't. I, I create. <laughs> I mean, I right. make it up. I don't. Um, I have not been one of those. You know, uh, somebody that has transcribed Charlie Parker solos and things. Uh, and that's that's just me. So so this is a little more uh, for me to. Um, it's good for me to understand. So I went back and I thought, what what can I grab onto in this? Is it the is it the melody? But I think the most important thing in this is the way that I first started moving to it mm -hmm. and, and, and the beat of it. So I went through all kinds of iterations of notating different things and bass lines and trying to figure things out. And, and I was getting a little frustrated, so I put it away. And then I just kept listening and listening and playing and, and playing along to it. And I just realized it's kind of, for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a disservice to <laughs> to uh, gente de zona and and you know and and scramble it out there. But um, if I want to, this is sort of uh, the simplest thing I could break it down, figure out playing a little bit of harmony and a little bit of rhythm. Let's right. see if you can hear this. That kind of gets you through the song, mm -hmm. you know. If you yep. tune your those strings. are like the, the main accents of the and, groove. Yeah, and then I thought, look, I got a little bit daring, and what there's that there's that walk down of the bass line that mm -hmm. happens boom, pretty boom, much boom, at the boom, end, boom, boom, boom. right? So, sorry. And then, you know, you can get daring, I guess, and do... Uh... Yep, yep. And, and what you're doing there is um, adding the subdivisions of the beat, right? Before, mm -hmm. you were focusing on the accents, like the boom, 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 boom. Which is a like a, a clave kind of um, you know key to that to that rhythm, uh, and then by putting in those subdivisions, you're replicating some of that incredibly um, active percussion that's going on in the track. Right. That's right. really moving the track forward, and and that's making us dance. Yeah, and I know you know uh, if um, I listen to you do it, I'm sure you would have. <laughs> let me you know, grab and, my and all kinds of here, let would me you grab please my, yes grab my fiddle here for a second so well i have the advantage of having an extra string so i right. can kind of get to that low f chord you know doing there is kind of just focusing on the bass notes a f c e minor walking down back to the a and then just trying to fill in anything else that i can by keeping just sort of a subdivision going at the same time and right. i'm not overthinking it i'm just kind of going is i just kind of keep a simple approach going here that i'm not thinking about i'm not overthinking it at all and just kind of 
doing that and then adding the bass line, basically. And filling in with a chord. But, um, but uh, I think the idea is that we're, we both gravitated toward the subdivision of it, which is right. what all of that cool percussion is doing. It's, well, that's it's, a shakare, right? In the... Just all kinds of stuff going on in that track. So there's a there's a strong rhythm of the So we could try to bring that uh, that kind of accent out a little bit. You, see, here's, you can't you can't stop moving, no. right? <laughs> it just you're not even conscious of it. It yeah. just it, you know it's in in it in you. In. It's, and yeah. you know it's it's uh, I I think on a very important fact, it's the important point about how to play rhythmically is before you even pick up your bow or your instrument, move your start moving your feet, move your body. You don't have to dance. You know I I tell people all the time. To um, to dance to the music, but I don't mean you like have to do salsa steps. You know, um, I don't I don't know how to do any of that. But just even if you're sitting, just let your body bounce, let your let yourself rotate back and forth. Just free your body. You don't have to try to do anything. All you have to do is just don't try to keep from from moving. You know, just right. allow yourself to be free. And you will, if you're listening to that music, your body's going to move in some way. And that's where the rhythm starts. Because, you know, then you just reflect it in, on your instrument. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's where, to, that's where to start. So, yeah, I started by overthinking it when I first, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I got to hack it. I got to hack it. And I don't, that's not my, and, um, and so gradually I just came back to the, the fundamental, I guess, rather yeah. than just trying to to add everything in there, and then it will, it grows from there. The more comfortable I I become uh, playing that, you know, the the bottom line and and Im improvising around that, and I'm still going to work be working with that. Yeah. So, uh, and and I, I think, think it's an important uh, point to make to to other string players who are working on this kind of stuff that you don't need to replicate every um, every percussion instrument on the track. Uh, you will you can't do that if you're playing a guitar. You can't even do that if you're playing a piano. Um, what you uh, what you want to do is to be able to fit into that track in a rhythmic way where you're not just playing the melody. You know, where it's very different doing that from doing You know, to play the vocal melody, which is what, right. you know, a lot of string players, their first instinct is to play the melody. We're a melodic instrument. Uh, and this is all about, okay, how do we add to this track rhythmically? We don't have to recreate the entire thing. We just need to fit into what's there. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, for string players to take the pressure off what we're doing, you know, it, it doesn't have to be super complex or, or difficult. Um, it, it really shouldn't be any harder, uh, hopefully easier than playing a beautiful melody, which is not an easy thing to do on a string instrument. Um, uh, this should be no, no more difficult. It should be fun and, and easy and, and um, fairly, you know, uh, it just needs to fit into the pocket of the, of the groove. Yeah, and I think, you know, for, for those that are maybe like me, you know, that are not so sophisticated with the chop and the groove. I mean, I, 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 I was going to say, I groove in a parallel universe, usually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, what, what's your, your first impulse when you're listening to something, if you're going to sing along with it or if you're going to move along and have that inform where you're going to start to play? Right. So... That's exactly just listen to your body a little bit. And I think you wanted to talk about some odd meter stuff. Am I right? <laughs> Should we dig into that for a second? Yeah, let's do the um, the odd 
the odd groove, the, the, arc of um, the oddball groove. <laughs> I find because I um I find that a lot of the music my my music that I compose or or create um I like fives sevens. Um, my duo with uh, Randy Hudson, that's um, called Boeing, and he's because he plays a uh, Ebo gu- um, guitar with Ebo, and um, <laughs> so we have we have yeah we have a bunch of of uh, material that's you know we're grooving in seven eight or seven four, a walking bass line in seven, mm-hmm. and um, and so that sets up a whole different kind of a groove. We're not in that that pocket of a, right. a duple or, you know, two or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all fine, too. I, I do that sometimes. I also do grooves that are not continuous grooves. So I'll set up. So I don't know if you can, you can see. Um, I know it's a podcast, but um, <laughs> I have my. <laughs> can you see? I have, um, I have my pedal board, and then I've got my looper. And you've been, you and I have been loopers for yes. ever. Yep. Yep. And uh, we have, and what's fascinating is we have different approaches to doing it, we, and we use different gear. Um, but the main thing is that we use that to—that's our band. We we are our own band, right? So we right. can make it make it an ostinato and and build it on that. Or like what I do is I have my loops in all different durations. They're not synced up, so that I can add layers that don't add up all the time and, and they keep shifting right sh- sound shifting and right. um but i do like I'll, I'll give you an example yeah. um what which looper are you using by the way these days i'm uh i've got the boss rc300 yep. loop station mm-hmm. um for me i'm a stereo person so everything everything that i do is stereo um all my effects are in stereo um and so it's it's just a it's a dimensionality thing. So when I perform, I need I always bring two um amps with me. And when I um I can yeah, sometimes I just use those as my as my sound system. Um but it's an it's important to get that kind of a sound cuz that's you know, that's where I'm that's my soul. Yeah. So um mm-hmm. So then I, I step, usually my pedal board is on the floor, but for this past year, it's been on a bench. <laughs> so I'm going to hit a few buttons. Yeah. And I've got my uh, Eventide H9. I've got a pair of them, and I've got my trusty old Yamaha Magic Stomp, which I have just had for, you know, a thousand years. And it's still got some great sounds on it, and I'm going to keep it in my, my rack as long as I can. Because it's magic. It is magic, in fact. So um, we were talking about, like, out of the box. You know, when you take something out of the box and you and you pluck it, you can get that kind of a sound. And then you futz around with it, like uh, like I tend to do, and I find when I hit one note, and I I was um, creating a piece called Dreaming in Sound, mm-hmm. and um, I just did, I did this. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, and I did it again. And then I did this. So there's our groove in five. Right. And then I add a layer.
I like the way you're using the delay setting to establish this the subdivision mm -hmm. for that for that groove. And then you know that becomes like your drummer. Right. So the, and that's the when you start working with with electronics um, and combining. I always say it's like a recipe, right? In the kitchen, you you add a little more salt to the same recipe you've always been using, it's, it's gonna be really salty, or if you add a little, you know, too much sugar, it's gonna be, to, it's the same recipe, but it, d it depends on the quantity of the ingredients. Right. And that's how I consider my, uh, my effects here, and I'll, I'm creating a new piece. Um, I'll try, this is two different uh, effects processors that are on right now, whereas if I turned one off, right. I would get But because I added a second delay, so I get that. Right. Likewise, if I turn the the eventide off, this is the it's a, just a delay. It's just a mod echo. Right. But in combination. Yeah, the eventide is doing the octave dividing. So that's why I can sit here for hours and hours and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get lost. <laughs> yes, I think, you know, people may not appreciate the, the hours and weeks of time that we spend tweaking and programming these effects. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's very little out of the box um, stuff that, that we actually use just the way, you know, presets that, that come preloaded. Uh, in, in this gear, you know, we're always messing with it and, and getting into the boxes and learning how to how to program them and, and change them to, to suit the piece. Yeah. And, and again, it's at your uh, comfort lo level and uh, yeah. it depends how much you like to read manuals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and just knowing that uh, there's also ways. I mean, I, I'm constantly taking screenshots and saving settings because, you know, with all electronics, at some point, something's going to stop yes or the lights are going to go out or whatever usually right before the gig yeah usually when yeah. that happens <laughs> and um this past year is just that's what it's been about it's been you know um no it's not that's not going to work or what happens if it doesn't work and i've just been saying look uh if you step on the wrong pedal or you play the wrong note or something goes screwy um, don't make a face, don't stomp your foot, <laughs> accept it as an opportunity to try something new and yeah. maybe you'll, you'll find something you never, ever would have thought of doing in your, you know, in your, yeah. in your brain of experience. Yes. So oftentimes it comes from just something that happens by accident or by mistake and like, that's the aha. This is the universe forcing you to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. And believe in that. And I do. I, I always leave a certain part of my day open <laughs> to making mistakes because I yes. do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big part of, of what we do. You know, we're we're kind of breaking new ground with a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, this is an interesting part of, of the creative process, which is kind of different from the classical string playing mode, which is one of it's a little closer to sort of Olympic training, where you you train and train and train to do something perfectly so that you can execute it perfectly the same way every time. Um, and what we're doing is almost the opposite. We are more like the writer at a typewriter who's like, no, rip it out, crumple it up and throw it in the wastebasket. And you do that, you know, for three weeks until you have a, a room that's, you know, filled with discarded crumpled up paper until you write that first sentence of the novel or whatever, you know, uh, and, and that's the search for meaning, the search for, you know, uh, to plumb your imagination as fully as you can and to delve into your creativity is one of constantly making, trying things, experimenting. It's constant experimentation and trying things out. Uh, and that process 
has to welcome failure, right? I mean, that's what it's about. You have to welcome that failure. That is part of your process. And it's not something to avoid. It's something to dig to, to dig into and allow to happen. And that's the only way you get to the other side of um, the river of suck, as my friend Andy Reiner calls it. <laughs> right. You know, you have to swim through the river of suck. You have to suck at a lot of things until you get what you're looking for. And so many string players are afraid of that process. They've been they've just been scared away from their creativity. Uh, this mm -hmm. is something that I felt as a kid and I was always composing and writing stuff. And and I, I realized at a certain point that it's exactly the opposite of what I'm doing in my lessons, which is to recreate with perfection. Uh, and this was to create yeah, exactly. Um, and that's a big thing to, to overcome. That's you know, just going back to my, am I allowed to do that workshop? Right. Right. I mean, I, I came up, I came up with that title. Literally it came out of the mouth of a, of a yeah. sixth grader. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went in to do an improv and, and I always start with something really wacky. Cause I figure if I sound really wacky and out of tune and awful that you, you know, right. They won't be afraid. You, can only go up from there, right? right. <laughs> exactly. So when I, you know, I, I scrub away and I, and I just have, try to get a call and response without them thinking about it. And yes. the kids all, they, they to try started. to think, they're like, what can I, can I play a melody? Or, and I said, no, oh, just, just respond. And I played something really scratchy and, and, and awkward. And he looked around to see if his teacher was watching. It's like, am it's I allowed okay. to do that? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, Yes, yeah. at least in this time you are allowed to do that, um, and then we'll, then we'll we'll you know we'll ring it in a little bit. But. Yeah, you know Terry Riley once told me, if you're not messing up, chances are you're not actually improvising. <laughs> you know, and and he just welcomes that. You know, you roll with it. You you figure out how to use it or whatever. But um, you know, if you're if you're not really, if you're being truly creative, you're going to constantly be making sounds that you, you know, aren't quite what you wanted or, you know, you're exploring. Right. And and speaking of, of failure, I think this is a perfect segue to our final segment of oh, the no. show. I've been dreading this. <laughs> Which I call Not My Gig. <laughs> And this is a little uh, fun game where a little trivia game where we ask, I ask my guest something that they hopefully know nothing about. So Martha Mook, founder and leader of the Scorchio Quartet. I'm going to ask you some things about the video game Scorched Earth. Oh, gee. <laughs> well, Okay. I'm, this is this is going to be me at my improvisational. Exactly. We're going to see highest. how those improv <laughs> skills hold up right here. Okay, so I'll give you a, a little background on Scorched Earth. Released in 1991, Scorched Earth is one of many games in the genre of what are called turn-based artillery games. <laughs> so Scorched Earth um, developed uh, a nickname. Uh among its fans. Was that nickname A, Death Tank, B, The Mother of All Games, or C, Last Game Standing? One of these was the nickname for Scorched, Scorched Earth. Was it Death Tank, oh. The Mother of All Games, or Last Game Standing? I like them all. Uh... I'm going to death tank. It's a good guess. It was actually <laughs> the name of another game. Okay. <laughs> but the actual nickname was the mother of all games. Okay. Because it was during the Gulf War in 1991 when, when the game came out after Saddam Hussein threatened the U.S. that if they stepped on Iraqi soil, it would be the mother of all battles. And so... <laughs> Somehow the name was the same year. They called it the mother of all games. Okay. One wrong. You got okay. two more shots here. 
This is a uh, this is a true or false. So you got a 50/50 shot at this one. <laughs> okay. Scorched Earth can be played against up to 9 other human players. True or false? <laughs> Just pick one, I guess. <laughs> uh true. You are right. It is true. It is absolutely true. You can play up to 9 and no more. <laughs> Very good. You Obviously. That's why I've redeemed myself. Okay. <laughs> and here's your third and final question. Oh, God. Two out of three, and you win. There's no, uh, there's no prize. You just get. I bragging. win my pride. <laughs> your pride. Uh, okay. Scorched Earth incorporates many of the features of previous graphical artillery games, including comments by each player's tank before firing or after being hit. Which of these comments are actual comments from the game? <laughs> A, I shall smash your ugly tank. B, join the army, see the world, they said. Or C, you looking for me? <laughs> Which of those is an actual comment from the game? Um, I'm gonna, uh, what was A again? <laughs> A was, I shall smash your ugly tank. B was, and was after you get hit, join the army, see the world, they said. Uh, or C, you looking for me? I like A. I just, <laughs> you are absolutely right. You are correct. Ah. And it was a trick question. They're all actual comments. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Thank you, Peter Sagal. <laughs> and you win the, the Not My Gig game because obviously every gig is your gig. Well, you know what? That's, that's as an improviser, you got to make it your, you got to make every gig your game. Your gig. Exactly. You got to find so. a way to make it your game. Well, yep. bravo. Yep. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for letting me play along. <laughs> thanks for playing along. Let me put you on the spot and, and trying to embarrass my guests it's not usually a way to endear yourself to anyone but i appreciate your <laughs> being a good sport you know what it's uh, that's the way that's the way of the game it's it's how it's how you come around it and exactly. and uh, <laughs> smile just keep smiling exactly and uh put on gozadera <laughs> <laughs> beautiful maybe we'll maybe we'll Go out with a little gozadera. We'll end with some salsa, some reggaeton. <laughs> Martha, thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your wisdom and great ideas with this audience, talking about these things that are so important to us and hopefully important to our listeners. It's been really wonderful having you here. Thanks so much, Tracy. And uh, everybody, stay strung out out there. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on. <laughs>